Well, I wanted to begin today with a question. And that question is this. If you were going to die today, and you got a chance to stand on this stage and give a final last message, what would you say? What were the words that you would choose if you got some lasting words, some final words? Well, for years, Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania has hosted an ongoing series of lectures where their top professors and esteemed guests have been invited to think deeply about that question, about what matters to them. And then to prepare a final talk with the premise being, what wisdom would you share with the world if you knew this was your last chance? On September 18th, 2007, this hypothetical talk became very real for one man. You see, Randy Pausch, a professor at Carnegie Mellon, had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in September of 2006. And for the previous 11 months, his treatment had been unsuccessful. And he had been told one month earlier in August that he had three to six months to live. So on September 18th, 2007, he stepped foot on a stage at Carnegie Mellon and was given a standing ovation by 400 professors and students in the room. During the lecture, he shared inspiring lessons from his life, He even did push-ups on the stage. And they recorded this lecture. You can watch it on YouTube. Just search Randy Pausch, last lecture. I checked this week. It has over 18 million views. They sold the rights to the book for $6.7 million, and the last lecture by Randy Pausch went on to become a runaway New York Times bestseller, selling over 4.5 million copies. He took his opportunity seriously, And it profoundly affected the lives of millions. Not three to six months later, but more like nine months later, in July of 2008, he died. And his words have lived on. I want to challenge you today to take some time when you go home or later this week to think about what you would say. I've been thinking about this question all week long. And I'm still not totally sure what I would say, but I do know what I think the Apostle Paul would say. I think we have that last letter in the book of Galatians. And for the next 10 weeks, we're going to look at the life that Paul took in this short book to share what would be his last lecture, what he felt like was the most important thing he had to share because he didn't know when his life was going to end. He didn't have cancer, but he knew that he had been shipwrecked and persecuted He knew that he'd been beaten and arrested. He knew that he'd been um, stoned. And so he knew that his life was not guaranteed. And so this morning, we're going to begin a series. It's titled Jesus Plus Nothing. You can see the title here on stage if you ever forget what it's called. And we're going to talk about this letter that he wrote to the church at Galatia because they were facing a serious challenge. And despite the 2,000 years and the multiple continents that separate us, the challenge that faced them is not that different from the challenges that face us. 
And so this morning, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up to Galatians 1, or if you have it on your phone, you can turn it on. And uh, we're going to spend our time in these first few verses today. But as we do, I want to give you some context as we start out this series. So here's some context for you. So first, where is Galatia? Well, if you're familiar with the area known as Greece, Galatia is located in northern Greece. I forgot to bring a map for you today, but Galatia is located in northern Greece, and, and Galatia isn't a city. It's actually a number of cities. And for those of you who have some familiarity with the Bible, you'll know that Paul wrote a lot of letters, 12 or 13, in fact. And all of those letters but this are sent to a city. This is sent to a series of cities because the, the problem they were facing was large and great. To whom was the letter written? Well, there's some dispute about that. If you go home and Google to whom was Galatians written, you'll find a lot of research. And I read a lot this week, but we don't have time for me to share all that with you today. Um, what we know is that there's a lot of people who think it was sent to the northern Galatian churches, and a lot of people think it was sent to the southern Galatian churches. Personally, I think it was to the south, but uh, that's just me. And you say, Scott, why was this letter written? Well, this letter was written because the people were facing this challenge. Is our salvation in Jesus and what he has done completely, or is our salvation in Jesus plus something else? That's the reason why Paul wrote this letter. And it's a question that we should answer ourselves. Because if you haven't, you will face a moment in your future where you'll be tempted to say, do I believe that my salvation is what Jesus did for me? Or do I believe it's what Jesus did for me plus something I'm supposed to do? Something I haven't done yet. Something I need to do. And the temptation that faced them is just as prevalent for us today. So Paul's big idea that he's going to share with us in this book, especially these 10 verses, is this, this concept. That the same gospel which saves us is the gospel which sustains us. The same gospel which saves us is the gospel which sustains us. There is not one gospel for you to come to Christ under and then another one that you're going to live under later. You don't graduate. There's not the training wheels gospel and then the big kid gospel. There's not the elementary school gospel and then the university level gospel. There's not the baby Christian gospel and the mature Christian gospel. There is one. And some of you may go, well, what does that word gospel mean? Well, I wrote a definition and this morning I was like, this is way too long, but I'm just going to give it to you today. It's not the best definition out there. It's just one that I wrote. The gospel is the good news which announces our forgiveness because of Jesus' death and resurrection. We've been singing about this all morning long. Our sin is exposed, but, and thank God for buts, we are not rejected. We are fully known and fully loved. That's the gospel in a pretty short summary. That because of the resurrection and the death of Jesus, we are forgiven. Our sin is exposed but we are not rejected. We are fully loved and we are fully known. And that's the gospel which saves us and that's the gospel which sustains us. So this morning, I want to share with you three parts of Paul's introduction in this book. And the first part that he shares beginning in verses one through three is don't forget the gospel. Don't 
forget the gospel. Paul begins this letter in verse 1, and he says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. The first thing Paul talks to us about in this book is his authority. He talks about his authority and he says, My authority is not from men nor through man, but it's through Jesus Christ and God the Father. So he's saying, I'm not writing to you just as a guy who has some ideas, some pretty good ideas. I'm writing to you as someone who has a spiritual authority that comes from God. So you should take this letter seriously. He begins with his authority. Then he goes to verse 2 where he says, And all the brothers who are with me. So he talks in this section about his backing. He says, I have spiritual authority from God, not man, and all the brothers are with me. So you can't see them, but I'm writing on behalf of people more than me. So if somebody sent you a note and said, hey, this is, this is Scott, you know, or this is Fred, or this is Sarah, and by the way, and all these people are writing this with me, you might take it more seriously because it's coming from more than just one person. And then he says something that's really unique in verse 3. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I was trying to figure out a word to summarize this, and I'd already done authority and backing. I figured I had to do a C word. And so uh, the word here is creed. Paul shares this creed, and creed is not just the name of a you know, mediocre 90s band. Um, I won't sing any of their songs for you this morning. You're welcome. Uh, I love you guys. But creed is a statement of belief, and what Paul shares here is a statement of belief. He says, Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Now, when we went through this, this verse here, and I read it, no, none of you thought that it was odd. None of you thought it was bizarre. Well, that's because you're not first century Roman citizens. If you were a first century Roman citizen, you'd be listening to this letter being read to you, and you'd go, this is weird. What's going on? Because in this day, letters all followed the exact same pattern. They, they followed a pattern of greeting. Hey, this is Scott. How's it going? I'm with Luke, and I'm with Bob, and we're hanging out here in Ephesus, and we love you guys. We're so grateful for you. We appreciate you. We wish we could be with you. We have awesome memories together. It's like when you go out to dinner with somebody, and you start catching up over dinner. Hey, how are your kids? How's your family? How's work? How's your house? You know, isn't it hot outside right now? You start going through all these kind of pleasantries, and like 20 minutes in, you go, hey, here's why I wanted to have dinner with you. I want to ask you this. Paul just cuts through all the pleasantries and he goes straight to the heart. I had lunch with a guy this week and I just said, I'm just going to cut to the chase. Here's why I wanted to have lunch with you. I didn't ask how his wife were, his kids were, his job was, anything. I just said, hey, I want to have lunch. We've got a limited amount of time. Here's what I want to talk about. And Paul does that. He cuts straight to the core. And he says, this is what I want to remind you of. Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Jesus is the reason that we're standing here today. And in some ways, what Paul is doing with this creed is that he's sounding an alarm. 
This morning when the dust came in through the ductwork, an alarm went off and shut down the AC. So that's why when some of you came in today, it was a little bit warm. It's because an alarm went off. And we sound an alarm when something is wrong. And Paul is sounding an alarm because, as we'll learn in a little bit, there was a temptation these people were facing that was abandoning the gospel. Adding something to what Jesus has done. And so Paul is saying from the very beginning, let me remind you, we believe that our salvation is because of Jesus' death to save us from our sins in the past and to deliver us in this present evil age. Let me give you a little bit of a heads up of what's going to happen this summer. During this series, for the ones that you're here or those that you're on vacation for and you watch online, you're going to have a very real temptation. And that temptation is going to be to check out. Not just because it's summer, but because what Paul is going to do in this letter is he's going to hit some messages again and 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 again. Are you tired yet? Again. And we live in a world that is addicted to novelty. How many of you in this room don't like eating leftovers? Raise your hand. Okay. Some of you are ashamed to admit that you don't get lean leftovers. But most people in America don't eat the same food on Tuesday that they ate on Monday. Or on Wednesday that they ate on Tuesday. Whenever a new model comes out of our devices, we upgrade. When something wears out, we throw it away. When we get tired of it, we move on. They, they even call some of these things like disposable goods. If you ever bought furniture from Ikea, you've bought what's called disposable furniture. (laughs) I love Ikea furniture, but it's designed to be disposable. And for many of us, we treat the gospel the same way. We're so overly familiar with it, we've kind of moved on. And if that's you, this series is going to challenge you Because by moving on from it, you're in a very real danger of adding something to it. And so Paul is saying, don't forget the gospel. Don't get past it. Don't don't get beyond it. Don't forget it. Part of the reason that you're here today as a part of a Protestant or evangelical church is a man named Martin Luther. On October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther went outside of his church and he tacked a blog, what we call it a blog today. It was 95 theses, 95 statements of what he believed. And the Protestant Reformation began. This year is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. You're here today as a descendant of that. And Luther, in part, read the book of Galatians and became convinced that they had lost sight of the gospel. And so he began to teach it week in and week out, week in and week out. And one day a church member came to him, a lady, and she said, Martin, I am so sick and tired of your sermons. You preach the same thing every week. Why do you keep preaching the gospel to us every single week? You know what he said? Because every week you forget it. And that's what this series is about ensuring that we do not forget the gospel. Because if you move on from what Jesus has done for you as sufficient and you start adding to it, 
But Paul is going to have some very strong words for that in a little bit. So the first thing he says is don't forget the gospel. The second thing he says to these Galatian believers is that you're deserting the gospel and you are in grave danger. You are deserting the gospel and you are in grave danger. This is what he says in verses 6 and 7. He says, I'm astonished, he's using really strong language here, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul's saying that there is a very real thing happening in the area of Galatia, whether it's north or south, in multiple cities. People have arrived, and they are troubling you, and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. That it's not just what Jesus did for you. You have to add something to it. You have to do something on your own in addition to it. And when people desert the gospel, historically, they go in two directions. The first group is group A, and those are people who add to the gospel. In this context, in the first century in Galatia, it was people who were saying, yeah, it's great that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and forgave you, but you also need to add on circumcision and following the Jewish law. You got to add that. In our day, people say, yeah, it's great that Jesus forgave you for your sins and he died for you, but to be a really good Christian, you got to do inductive Bible study, or you got to tithe, or you got to go on a mission trip, or you got to be at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, or you got to go door to door and share your faith. Or you got to be at the men's group or the women's group, or you got to read this book, or you have to worship this way, or you have to preach this way. We're, we're really good at adding things to the work of Jesus and elevating them online with that. And the reason why is that we are constantly tempted to do this. Again, I'll quote Luther here. He says, the sin underneath all our sins is the lie of the serpent, and that's a reference to Satan, that we cannot trust the love and grace of Christ and they must take matters into our own hands. See, the temptation that you're going to face here in this series is to go, oh, if this is just all about what Jesus did for me, what, what am I supposed to do, Scott? Well, when it comes to salvation, nothing. And that's really hard for you. That's really hard for me. Because we live in a culture that for 250 years has preached this narrative of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make something of yourself. We live in a culture that says if you don't do anything, you're lazy, entitled, and not deserving of anything. And so we import that into our theology and we want to do stuff. We want to take matters into our own hands. We don't want to trust what Jesus did for us. We want to do something for ourselves. And when it comes to salvation, that's adding to the gospel. The other group, instead of adding to the gospel, they take advantage of the gospel. There are some who take advantage of the gospel. They presume on the gospel. They go, hey, yeah, it's great that Jesus died for me. It's great that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and forgave me. I'm good. I'm just going to go do what I want. I've got that. I'm covered, had that moment, 
I'm going to go live my life now. We have cultural references for these things. We call it your, uh, your fire insurance, your get-out-of-jail-free card, um, other, other, you know, euphemisms. We take advantage of the gospel. We presume on it. Jesus, thanks for dying for me, but I'm good. I'm going to live my life the way I want now. We take advantage of the gospel. And Paul reminds us that if we add to the gospel or take advantage of the gospel, we're preaching another gospel, and another gospel is no gospel. And you go, that, that really isn't that serious. Well, let's, let's read what Paul says to kind of conclude this section in verse 9 and 8. It says, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, and he's referencing another time before he wrote this book, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That word accursed is, tr- is translated set apart and devoted to destruction due to hatred to God. Paul is saying, let him who teaches another gospel, adding to or taking advantage of, let him be set apart and devoted to destruction due to ha- their hatred of God. So this is not an inconsequential thing where you just kind of get your theology a little bit off. Paul says, if you add anything to what Jesus did, it's worth nothing. That's why we said Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and Jesus plus anything equals nothing. So if you try to add to what Jesus does, you negate it. And there's strong language here for those who add to it or take away from it. And then finally, Paul says one last thing, just to be clear. In saying all of this to you, I want to remind you that I'm motivated by pleasing Jesus, not by pleasing people. I'm motivated by pleasing Jesus, not by pleasing people. In verse 10, he says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I still trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. As I said to you, you're going to have some temptations in this series to check out because it seems so simple. And you're going to trick yourself into thinking, I've heard that before, I can check out. And this is why a lot of people don't preach this stuff. If you want to please people, if you want people to engage then give them humanism or legalism. If I wanted you to engage, what I would do is I would give you five tips to having a better marriage or seven tips to being a better parent or nine ways to have the life you've always wanted. That's humanism. Be a better person. Motivational speaking. I hope to motivate you, but I am not a motivational speaker. The other option is legalism. And legalism is really interesting because I could tell you all the things that you're supposed to do to make God love you. I could motivate you with guilt and fear and shame 
and you would feel like you really had to do some stuff to earn God's love. And many of you have been in those churches. And the problem with that is that it works for a while until you resent it and until you need more guilt and more fear and more obligation and more shame. See, if you want to please people, you preach humanism or legalism. That's popular. That'll fill the seats. Either out of, I don't know, arrogance and hubris that you think you can make yourself all you're supposed to be, or fear. You're afraid if you don't do certain things, God's not going to love you. And this is a place where, where I struggle because I believe the Bible is endlessly practical. Every week I give you next steps because I believe the Bible is practical to work out. But the struggle goes deeper than that. You see, the way that God wired me, uh, I learned this from Dr. Gary Chapman in his book, The Five Love Languages. The way God wired me is that I receive love via words of affirmation. I like gifts, don't get me wrong. It's my birthday's next Saturday if you want to pass me one. Um, I'll, I'll take them. I'm not going to turn them down. But I receive love via words of affirmation. And I stand on a platform like this every week. See, my wiring is also my vulnerability. God created me to receive love via words of affirmation, and I can become addicted to your words of affirmation to prop up my identity instead of Jesus. It has never been easier to be about pleasing people because you post a picture and you wait for the likes and the comments. You share a story Wait for the people to share it. We've never put more of our lives out there to please people with. And we all know that people post the things they want to post. We don't see the fights in that marriage. We just see the beautiful kitchen. We see the beautiful vacation of the ocean. And behind that picture, the family is just all killing each other, you know, but the ocean looks beautiful. And you know what we do? We post our own filtered life while we mock the other people who post their filtered life. See, Paul is saying, look, if I wanted to please you, I would not be telling you this. And if I wanted to please you, we would not be doing this series. But my concern, like Paul's, is that it is a temptation for all of us to move from the Jesus plus nothing gospel to the Jesus plus something gospel and to put our hope in what we do, not what he, we, he did. To allow one gospel to save us and then shift to another gospel to sustain us. And so over the months of June and July, we're going to talk about how we can recommit ourselves and re-engage that gospel. So here's three questions for you as we begin this series. The first one I want you to ask yourself this week is where am I adding to the gospel? Where am I adding to the gospel? You might say, Scott, I, I don't add to the gospel. I believe in Jesus. Well, here's a way to get at that question. If you've ever injured a, a, a lower extremity, a, a leg, a foot, an ankle, you know that you put on crutches. And crutches help sustain you when you can't put weight on your lower extremities. 
Well, we tend to develop crutches when we add to the gospel. And the way you discover what your crutch is, is when something bad happens in your life or something bad happens to somebody you know. If that bad thing happens and then in your prayer you say, but God, I have been going to church a lot. Why did you allow this to happen? But God, I've been praying and reading my Bible and tithing. But God, I've been following you for my whole life. But God, I didn't succumb to that temptation. But God, I'm better than that person. See, if you have a but God eye, that's the thing you've added to the gospel. That's your crutch. And for many of us, we have subconsciously shifted our hope from Jesus to something else. And when something bad happens in your life and you push back and argue with God for why he would allow that, and the reason you list is this thing, that's the thing you've added to the gospel. That's the thing you believed will save you, not Jesus. Where am I adding to the gospel? Second, where am I taking advantage of the gospel? Where am I taking advantage of the gospel? Where am I presuming on Jesus? I love him for the salvation he gave me, but I'm going to live and do whatever I want. Maybe a good question for you is, when is the last time you got down on your knees and you repented brokenhearted over your brokenness and your sin? And you go, Scott, I don't have that much sin. I was preparing for this message on Thursday and I stumbled on a quote and it was just one of those woe quotes, you know? Kyle Eidelman said, if the biggest sinner you know isn't you, then you don't know yourself very well. See, a lot of us think we're not, we're not that big of sinners. That person over there, they're way worse off than I am. I don't really need that much of Jesus because I'm not that bad. That's taking advantage of the gospel. It's presuming that you don't really need that much Jesus, that you've kind of weaned yourself off of the Jesus that you need. And then finally, third, where am I trusting in the gospel? There's some of you in the room today that you've never put your trust in Jesus. You've been trying to be a better person. You've been trying to manage your life. You've been trying to develop the discipline and willpower to fix your bad habits and your flaws. And if you could do that on your own, you would have done so by now. It's time for you to raise the white flag of surrender and to trust in what Jesus did for you that you can't do for yourself. The reason that we're all here is not that we don't have anything better to do on Sunday morning. The reason that we're here is that we know that we're the biggest sinners that we know. And we know that we need Jesus. And we need to recommit ourselves and renew our trust in him. The same gospel which saves us, it's the gospel which sustains us. And it's time for us to come back home to that. Would you pray with me?